podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Awesome. I want to give you two quick reminders, church, and then we're going to continue our series in the Psalms. Uh, The first reminder is this, and it's very, very simple. Uh, How many of you this morning would say that you have in this season, and Christy hit on it, in this season, maybe you've been going through some pressing things or some trying things. Uh, how many of you would say that in this season, uh, you're experiencing some challenges and some difficulties that um, maybe you haven't experienced before? Anybody here? Uh, how many of you would say that in this season, maybe you've experienced a little bit of anxiety? Anybody here in this season? Wow, that's a lot. Um, a little stress, a little increased stress and pressure and intensity. Anybody here? Um, now, I don't want to make light of this, but I want to speak something to you. It's a very quick reminder, and that is that Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And we declare over you today the resurrection power of the living God that we are a resurrected community, that we have gathered together today around the truth and the reality that the savior that we profess and proclaim and live for is a resurrected savior. And consequently, he is at work in your life. I wanna remind you of that today. In fact, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why we gather together as the church, the people of God, we come in response to the invitation of the Holy Spirit to come to receive grace at the table of the living God, to come and sit under the proclamation of the gospel through the scriptures. But we also come to be reminded that we're a resurrection community, that we've been formed and coalesced by the resurrection of Jesus. And so I wanna pronounce and proclaim to you today, friend, Christ is risen. You serve a resurrected Lord. The second thing I want to remind us of today is this, for every situation that you're walking through, and and be mindful of this. I want us to always be sensitive to this, guys, that somebody who's sitting right next to you, that someone who's just kind of in in a gaze uh, across from you right now, you have no idea what they're facing. I have no idea. As I look at your faces today, I have no idea. And just think about it. Every one of these hands that were raised this morning, stress, anxiety, fear, pressure, loneliness, rejection, resentment, bitterness, working through issues of the heart, every single one of us this morning knows someone that is in this room that may not be sharing what they're really, really going through in their interior life. And for that... What I want to proclaim today is that may the peace of the Lord be with you. What I'd like for you to do here, just with all sincerity, is I want you to look at someone sitting next to you, and I want you to proclaim the peace of God. Just proclaim that over them. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Will you do that this morning? Amen. See, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just simple enough, and, and, and I, like, I like to say that it's, um, it really isn't an attitude and a spirit of faith that I believe that when we pronounce the words of God over one another, that something is happening, that something beyond ourselves and it's, it's the beauty of the incarnation, it's the beauty of the, the Christian life, the incarnated life, that, that when we enter into the life of God and the spirit of God and, and we enter into alignment and agreement with the words of God and we begin to speak those words over our own lives, over our minds, over our situations and over one another, making those pronouncements over one another, the life of God and the spirit of God enter into those human words fully God, fully human and the power of God begins to be at work in our lives. And so remember this, when we walk out of this place commissioned to go into the earth, faithfully proclaiming the gospel and faithfully living out the mission of God, remember these two things, that we're a resurrected people, that Christ is risen, and that everywhere that you go, that the peace of the Lord is with you and it's upon you and it's going ahead of you, and you can pronounce that peace everywhere that you go. 
Today we're going to be continuing our series in the Psalms. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. And this is the fourth week of our series in the Psalms. And I just encourage you, if you have not been able to listen to the first couple of weeks, uh, we laid some introductory material, uh, more of a conceptual understanding about the book of Psalms at large to help us know how to faithfully interpret Psalms and how that when we enter into the Psalms, what are some good handholds and uh, some good approaches so that we can be faithful to the scriptures. I encourage you to go back and listen to those podcasts if you have access to them. Let me read a quote to you very quickly and then I'm gonna pray. The Psalm is a meaningful narrative structure. It's a meaningful story structure It's a history of the soul. The psalm is a history of the soul. And souls only have a history in conversation with God. The psalms are a history of the soul and souls only have history in conversation with God. That's by Rowan Williams. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the word that is made flesh in Jesus. Thank you for your word that is written and alive and active. And Father, thank you that your word has been made available to us, that's been entrusted faithfully over generations and generations and hundreds of years of faithful scholarship and faithful stewardship. And today, Father, we ask that you would breathe afresh on the word of the living God for us today. Lord, as we read the word, as we proclaim the word, as we study the word, we're asking today, O oh God, that your words, first and foremost, would be pro- profound in our hearts and our minds and that we would be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. We pray these things today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 112. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version this morning. By the way, let me see, who are all of our New American Standard folks? I'm just curious here. Who are all of our NASB? Just raise them up real proud, okay? Probably like 5% of the room, all right? Any New King James version, folks? Oh, yeah, some old habits are hard to die. I see that. (laughs) I love the New King James. I love how poetic and beautiful it is. In fact, most of my uh, memorization has been in the New King James, although I have lived in the NIV for 25 years. I have lived in the NIV. I've made the NIV my home. So how many NIV folks do we have here? Let me just see, NIV. Awesome, beautiful. How about, uh, how about any ESV folks? Just curious. Okay, awesome. All of our Reformed people in the house. Very good. <laughs> Uh, um, what about what about any new revised standard version people? Any? Yes, awesome, excellent. Yeah. So Jonathan and and me and and Aaron now we are uh, becoming more adept and more familiar in the home of the NRSV. So I'm going to uh, be preaching in that because I am living in that and going back and forth now in my own personal time uh, with the NIV and the NASB and the NRSV and just allowing myself to become more fluent. <laughs> in the literature and language of scripture. So, which is a good thing, and it's just becoming more and more alive to me. So, I don't know if we have the NRSV yet back there. If we do not, it's okay. Um, Caitlin, you can just put the good, faithful, dynamic, equivalent translation of the NIV up there, and we'll read that. All right, here we go. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved they will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, 
They will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, amen. So today, I have three very, very simple thoughts that I'd like for us to unpack on this psalm, which is categorized as a wisdom psalm. I'm going to explain what that means here in a minute. This is categorized as a wisdom psalm, and I have three simple thoughts. The first thought, very simply, is this. The righteous person fears the Lord. Okay, if you're taking notes, the righteous person, the man or woman of God, fears the Lord. And they delight in God. All right, number two, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, this is a progression. This is sequential. So the righteous person fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the righteous life is the blessed life. The blessed life. Now, I have a secret agenda that we're going to get to by the end of this message. And that is that when we hear blessed life that all of our Western, modern, uh, probably hyper-charismatic, maybe a little bit of uh, over-materialistic and individualistic-driven interpretations of blessed life might be a little bit different than how God is defining and describing the blessed life. But here's one thing for sure, and here's what the wisdom psalms teach us. See, the wisdom psalms are very simply a contrast between the righteous life and the evil life or the wicked life. And when we follow the wisdom of God, then there are certain benefits and blessings, namely that when we follow in the wisdom of God, that we experience this quality, this life of God, which is known and characterized as the blessed life. So let's just dive into it uh, very quickly. Number one, um, the fear and delight of the Lord. We wanna talk a little bit about the fear of God. Let's look again here at Psalm 112, verse one. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Now, if you're reading any translation besides the NRSV, your Bible will say blessed. Blessed is the person, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who fears the Lord and who greatly delights in his commandment. One of the things that we'll see in, in the wisdom Psalms is we see this trajectory. It really is a trajectory. And we have to be careful when we're reading example of this. Psalm 1 is an example of this. We're going to go to Psalm 1 here in a second. But we have to be careful that we're not transposing some form of literary or literal, literal interpretation of this. And here's why. Because the wisdom Psalms are not necessarily a promise that everything's going to go well. They're not necessarily a promise that everything that you and I describe and define as blessed living is automatically going to happen to us. What it's saying here is that when we live under the spirit of the fear of the Lord and we govern and guide our lives towards him, that the trajectory of our lives will incrementally and progressively begin to experience the blessed state of living in the life of God. So when we start reading Psalms like Psalm 112 or the Proverbs or Psalm 1, it, it, if we're not careful, we can easily walk away and start saying, well, Bible says that wealth and riches are in my house, so clearly I'm supposed to have a G6, and you know, I mean, I'm supposed to have whatever I want, and no, that's, not, that's not necessarily what the wisdom psalms are saying. It says the trajectory of our lives will incrementally experience that quality of life that God defines as blessed. Look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1's another example of a wisdom psalm. Verse 1, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither and all that they do they prosper. But the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this right here is just characteristic literature of wisdom psalms. You see this contrast 
hey, if you follow the way of God, it's good. You follow the way of the enemy, it's bad. Right. It's really simple. I like stuff. I need stuff like that. I need stuff like that for myself, but also for teaching my kids. <laughs> right? It's just very, very, just, it's, it's, it's this literary technique that helps us really get down into, in a very, very simplistic way, that living for God is good. It's good. Living wickedly and without God consciousness does not end up well. Uh, Walter Brueggemann calls this uh, a psalm of orientation. Remember in week one, we talked about orientation and disorientation and then a renewed orientation towards life. And so it's really easy to read through something like Psalm 112 and oversimplify this in terms of like, okay, if I do everything right and I live what my understanding of the righteous life is, then formulaically and scientifically and by kind of my modern understanding of cause and effect, if I do all the right things, then all the good things are gonna happen. And that's one of the reasons why Brueggemann categorizes this as a psalm of orientation because some of that gets challenged. Let me show you an example of this. Let's take a look right here at verse two, just the very second verse in Psalm 112. Their children will be mighty in the land. Well, what do we do when we're living right and we're living faithfully before the Lord and for whatever reason that are inexplainable that we don't have natural kids? What do I do with that? Does that make sense what I'm saying today? How, how, do I, how do I pull myself out of overly simplified formulas that again, essentially say, if I do X, Y, and Z that are right in my understanding of right, then I'm gonna get everything that I determine to be good. Guys, that's not the gospel. And it's not what the scriptures are teaching us. We'll, we'll get into hopefully some of the, 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 the tough realities of this. So there is an interpretive tension here um, to not necessarily take all of this literally, but to really understand that God is, is forming the trajectory of our lives. And also the wisdom Psalms speak to life here, but they also speak to an eschatological fulfillment that the life of the righteous will experience the fulfillment of blessing eschatologically as our faith remains rooted and steadfast in the Lord. Psalm, uh, Psalm 112 is connected with Psalm 111. And these two are actually, interestingly enough, the structure and the language of the literature of both of these Psalms are parallel. So if you go back in your own time and you read Psalm 111, what you'll discover is a very, very short Psalm, just like Psalm 112 is a very short Psalm. They have the exact number of verses and they follow the Hebrew acrostic um, alphabet, both Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. So they're actually designed to be read together. And when you read Psalm 111, what you'll see is a display of the character of God. And then when you read Psalm 112, what you'll see is a reflection of the righteous life, which is designed to be a reflection of the faithful and righteous character of God. How do we live righteous lives? By looking at the righteous one. How do we live wise lives that translate into blessed lives by following the one who is ultimate wisdom? That's how these two verses are connected together. But look right here at the end of Psalm 111 verse 10 with me, if you would. Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So in Psalm 111, we see this transcription of the character and the nature of God ending with this amazing verse that we see over and over again in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Psalm 112 begins with, blessed and happy is the person who fears the Lord and greatly delights in their commands. Let me talk here for a minute about this connection between fearing God and also delighting in God. Because that's the invitation. The invitation is not just that we would walk in this sense of the fear of the Lord. The invitation here is that we would walk in both 
a healthy understanding what the fear of God is as well as delighting our hearts in him. So let's break down this understanding of the fear of the Lord. This is not taken from scholarly language because I really wanted to bring this down into our common vernacular. So I'm using some of my own crafted language here. What is the fear of the Lord? The the fear of the Lord is to see God accurately and for us to respond to God appropriately. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Part of the reason why we come faithfully as the people of God, part of the reason why we live in the scriptures and study the scriptures is so that we can see God for who he really is. For we can see him accurately. The magnitude of his greatness and his holiness and his power and his wisdom that know no end or limitation. And when we see that and allow ourselves to be conditioned and formed by that and respond appropriately, that's the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. I mean, think about when you walk into situations and you really understand, Christy does this all the time. She says, I want to really know what I'm going into. Took her months to say yes to me. (laughs) Then I pursued this girl, she walked away and here's why, because she had a healthy fear and respect for what she perceived to be the calling on my life and the calling on her life and some of the challenges that come with living out covenant faithfulness together. So man, she just drugged that thing on so long. Why? It's a healthy fear. It's a healthy fear of covenant. She and I were talking a few days ago about uh, fostering and adoption. We were just walking and, and having a conversation around that. And she says, she said, I wanna really start doing our research. She says, I wanna know what we're getting into. That's just called a healthy fear. And we ought to have that same sense of healthy fear. You can't have a healthy fear of something or someone if you don't have a healthy understanding of what the reality of the situation or the person is. Here's another thought. The fear of the Lord is a progressive revelation that comes to our mind on the reality of the character and the nature of God. It's a progressive revelation of who God is. We learn to think deeply about God. If you want the fear of the Lord to become entrenched and rooted in your heart and mind, we have to train ourselves to think deeply about God, to move beyond rhetoric, to move beyond the surface of superficial ideas about God. In fact, one of my favorite verses is here in Psalm 111, verse two. Look at Psalm 111, verse two. Great are the works of the Lord, studied, by all who delight in them. Think of, just look at that. Great are the works of the Lord and they're studied. How many of us take time to study the works of the Lord? To study and think deeply and reflect long and uninterrupted. I mean, if we're honest, we're honest, it's a busy culture. I mean, we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned by things like Twitter and Instagram to just breeze quickly through things. Man, if it's more than 140 characters, you've lost me. In fact, there's a really great book for those of you who are interested in this conversation. There's a great book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Amusing Ourselves to Death. And it's actually written several years ago, but it's so relevant for today. And one of the examples that the author of this book talks about is the, the low threshold that we as human beings, and particularly as Western Americans, the low threshold that we have to sit under a conversation or a topic and to think long and deeply about it. And one of the references he uses is back in the 1800s. Do you know that back in the 1800s, that when Lincoln was running for president and he was on his campaign tour, that those debates would last anywhere from four to six hours? four to six hours, and now everything's in sound bites. Guys, if we want to develop the fear of the Lord, we have to develop the capacity and the threshold to learn how to think deeply about the nature and the character of who God is, to learn how to think towards God until it begins to shape our attitude. The fear of the Lord is an attitude. The fear of the Lord is an attitude. It's not just a tenant. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a good thought. The the fear of the Lord translates into our entire disposition. Honor and reverence and respect are attitudes. They're dispositions and orientations of the heart. Christian, I have this conversation a lot. I mean, you know, uh, you can call me pastor. 
You can call another man of God or a woman of God or a person of God. You can put a title on their name. And even though that title in and of itself is a title of reverence and honor and respect, you can have nothing but utter disdain for that person in your heart. Because reverence and honor and respect are not just in the letter of the law. They're not just in formalities. They're not just in token titles. They are dispositions of our hearts that affect our attitude and the posture by which we approach people. And namely here, we're talking about the posture in which we approach God. The result of the fear of the Lord will be a holy love, a holy love. And that's where these two come together. Blessed is or happy is the person who fears the Lord and who delights greatly in his commandments. See, the goal here isn't just that we'd run around and be afraid of God. The result is that our attitude and our disposition towards God, because we have revelation of who he is, the result would be that now we take delight in the wisdom of his commands. There is a wisdom in the commands of God. There is a wisdom in the way of God. And the blessed life is not just about, Christy was telling me the other day, that the new prosperity gospel, the new prosperity gospel is not so much about uh, airplanes and about having big houses. The new prosperity gospel, according to this article, is about social fame. It's about social prosperity. It's about having a million followers on YouTube. It's about how many hits can I get on my Instagram or my Twitter account? And so now we've, we've basically switched allegiances from I don't need all this materialism, but what I do need is I need for large masses of people to think highly about me. The life of wisdom, the life of God, which is the blessed life, is a life that is rooted in the unchanging character and the faithfulness of God that transcends trends, transcends people that will come and people that will go. Listen, if Jesus was all about having the biggest group of followers, he would have not have been faithful to his mission and assignment because at the end of the day, there was no one. There was no one. And if his success as a minister of God, if his success as someone who was faithful to the father was contingent or predicated on a mass number of people, he would be considered a failure. We know as people of Jesus that he was not a failure. He was the greatest success in the earth and in redemptive history because he was ultimately faithful in his obedience to God. And that is what the life of wisdom and that is what the life of the fear of the Lord produces inside of us, a life of obedience where we can delight in the commands of God. My greatest desire for my children is this. And, and they're probably sick of hearing me say it here over the past couple of days. My greatest desire is that the things that we as a family begin to deem important by the word of God and, and by godly wisdom and living is not my greatest desire is that they would so internalize and own these things that they become theirs, that they become theirs, that things like faithfulness to God become theirs that their worship posture become theirs, that generous living become theirs, that living a life of righteousness and peace and purity become theirs. And they're doing them not because I'm telling them to, they're doing them not because even they're right, they're doing them because they've gotten into the inner logic. They've gotten into the inner wisdom. They have a revelation of the truth of these things and the truth that sets them free and they own it. That is the only way that faith is gonna be passed on from generation to generation. As if in the wisdom of God, we as moms and dads and elders and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and teachers and pastors, we're able to help our children enter into the spirit of delighting in the commands of God. We cannot delight in his word if we do not delight in him. If there's not a deep love in our heart for who he is. All right, let's keep going here. The fear of the Lord and delighting in his commands. Now, what happens when we learn to do this, we begin the process of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A couple of thoughts on wisdom. Number one, wisdom is a gift from God. Wisdom is a gift from God. And it is a gift from God that stands counter to 
just having a lot of degrees or having a lot of formal knowledge. The wisdom from God is not just having a lot of life experience. The wisdom of God's not automatic. The wisdom of God doesn't happen just because you're older. In fact, there are a lot of older people that have very little wisdom. That's no indictment on anybody in this room. I'm talking about people outside there, right? Out there in the world. But you and I have ran into people that just because they're older into their 40s and 50s and 60s and older does not necessarily mean they've reflected deeply and lived their lives in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the attitude and disposition that God is who he says he is and I'm living in accordance with his wisdom and I'm delighting in his commandments, that posture in our lives, is the, it's ground zero. It's ground zero from being able to receive wisdom from having ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are postured. And here's why, because wisdom is a matter of the heart. Wisdom is a heart issue. It's not just a knowledge issue. It's not just an accumulation or a synthesis of information issue. It is a disposition of our hearts before God. Take a look with me if you would at Ephesians. Sorry, Caitlin, that's not in my notes. Ephesians chapter one. How many of you want to be people of wisdom? One of the things we're gonna be talking about the men's retreat is how to be men of wisdom, which means we have to be, I heard a woman say (laughs) woohoo. Which means we must develop and condition and train our hearts and ears to be receptive and pliable and tender men of God. Ephesians chapter one, look right here at verse 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom. It's something that is received. You guys remember that story about Solomon? First Kings chapter three wisest king ever lived. And as the story goes, Solomon was worshiping the Lord. He sacrificed 10,000 animals on the high places of God. And God appeared to him in a dream. And he says, son, ask me whatever you want. What do you want? And the thing that set Solomon aside from all the other kings of that day or the ones that even succeeded him was that he didn't ask for his enemies to die. He didn't ask for greater power. He didn't ask for greater riches or wealth. He asked for wisdom. In fact, look right here, and we're gonna go back to that verse in Ephesians chapter one, but Caitlin, this verse right here in 1 Kings chapter three, verse nine, this is Solomon. He says, God, give your servant, give your son, uh, therefore an understanding mind or wisdom. Would you give me wisdom so that I can govern your people? Friends, if we're gonna bring the solutions of God into the problems of the earth, we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God. And at some point, just like we talked about last week, your limitation is going to run into a problem that you do not have enough education and you do not have enough experience. There are things that God is calling you into that you are absolutely inexperienced. But your inexperience is not disqualifying you. The wisdom of God is available for you in the things that he's calling you into. And we see this right here in Solomon. Solomon's a young man. He's a boy. So I've never led this amount of people before. I have no idea what I'm doing. He says, I need wisdom. I need something that's beyond me. I think Solomon, I think Solomon realized this. I could literally spend the rest of my days in university. I could spend the rest of my days on Google and still not have the spirit of discernment and understanding and wisdom to lead this people. God, you have to give me something that is beyond me. And guys, listen, that wisdom is available for you. Some of us right now, we need wisdom for our marriages. We need wisdom for our children. Our children are doing things and believing things and running around and we're just like, God, I don't know what to do. You need the wisdom of God for the situations that are at hand. Some of you have physical issues that you thought by now you'd be over and you need the wisdom of God to know how to approach life with the reality of suffering. Lord, I need your wisdom to know how to approach this. Wisdom is from above. Wisdom is something that's given. 
Look right here, if you would, in James chapter three. Who is wise and understanding? Verse 13, James 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness that is born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it is earthly. You see that contradiction there? It's just like Psalm 112. It's just like the Proverbs. It's just like Psalm 1. It's this contradiction from the wisdom that is from below versus the wisdom that is from above. Jesus did this all the time. You have heard it said, but I say to you, you know that the Gentiles lord over them. This is how the Gentiles do leadership. This is how the Gentiles do power and authority, but this is how the people of God do it. It's a different way. It's led by a wisdom that produces gentleness that comes from above that changes us. There is a different way to do this. There's a different way to lead. There's a different way to parent. There's a different way to walk through conflict. It's the wisdom of God. So the wisdom of God is a gift. The wisdom of God can be received. The wisdom of God is from above and it's different from the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of God produces inside of us an eternal perspective. It produces, it gives us the ability to see life now from the vantage point of eternity. And that is not intuitive. I have a hard enough time thinking about life next week, let alone in eternity. Come on, are, you, are you with me this morning? Yeah, that's good. Do you know why you need wisdom? Because wisdom shows you what really matters. At the end of the day, and guys, listen, there will be an end of the day. There will be an end of the day. James 4 tells us that life is like a vapor. I mean, it's like this. My baby girl right now is turning 12, and I'm like, when did that happen? Life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's a breath. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. It says, teach us to number our days so that we may live a life according to wisdom. Teach us to live life from the end. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter three. He says, some of you guys are building your work of the Lord will stand. Would you hear me here for a second? All of us are involved in some aspect of the work of the Lord. And here's what Paul said to the Corinthian church in chapter three. He says, some of you are building works that will last. They're gonna last. And that is one of the fruits of wisdom. When you go back and you read through Psalm 112, look at how many times the word enduring and forever. I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you. In Psalm 111 and in Psalm 112, in those short verses, eight times you see the word forever over and over and over again in these short verses. Why is that? Because the life of wisdom teaches us what lasts. The life of wisdom helps us give our time and our energy and attention to the things that are most important, to the things that are gonna live beyond us, to the things that are gonna set up future generations for success to the things that are going to bring heaven into the culture and to the society of the world that we live in. That's what wisdom produces. Wisdom gives us an eternal perspective. Wisdom is also a lifelong journey. In other words, you don't just get a download of wisdom once and then it goes away, right? I'm asking God for wisdom daily, daily. In fact, Caitlin, if we could go back to that Ephesians Chapter one, look right here at chapter one, verse 17 again. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may grant unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may come to know him. Now look right here at the preceding verse. Look at verse 16. For this reason, I do not stop asking God to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not just a one-time thing. In fact, wisdom, I believe, over the course of faithfulness can be cultivated and deepened in our lives. Guys, listen, we talked about this last week. If we're gonna be a people that fight the good fight, if we're gonna be a people that finish the race and keep the faith, according to 2 Timothy 4, 7, if we're gonna be that kind of people, we're gonna need a wisdom for every season of life. 
the wisdom that I'm gonna need for uh, teenagers is a whole different kind of wisdom than having toddlers. I'm grateful for the toddler wisdom. It helped me, but I've not been in this territory before. Some of you guys are getting promotions. Some of you are asking for promotions and you need a new level of wisdom. Some of you are carrying responsibilities that are new. Some of you are in new life transition. Some of you are now caring for parents and you've never been here before and you need wisdom for this season. Every season and situation of life, we need the incremental revelation of who God is and of his ways. Look with me at Proverbs chapter two. Proverbs chapter two. We'll start with verse one. Caitlin, you're doing a fantastic job. My child, if you accept my words, listen to these, listen to these dynamic power verbs. If you accept my words and treasure my commandments. In other words, if you assign a high level of value, if you esteem them highly, verse two, if you make your ear attentive, make your ear attentive. You know, one of the reasons why I love the rhythm of sitting under the instruction of the word of God, even though we're tired. Listen, we got some people here that were up all night last night and we're fighting through, we're disciplining our mind and our bodies to be attentive to the word of God, which requires discipline, which is born out of a choice that comes from the spirit of the fear of the Lord that produces wisdom that leads to a blessed life. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Young people, listen, learn how to ask good questions. Learn how to ask good questions. Learn how to take notes. Learn how to listen. Learn how to not be offended with somebody who has lived life in God like three times longer than you've been alive. Learn not to be offended when they tell you something that's hard. Remember that Jesus would say hard sayings all the time. And people go, this is a hard saying, John chapter six. Like half the people that were following Jesus left. They go, we can't handle this anymore. The life of wisdom helps us hear hard things and not get offended like Ms. Fowl talked about today. We need that fear of the Lord that produces wisdom that leads to a blessed life. If you indeed cry out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. These are personal dynamic power verbs, you guys. In other words, take ownership for your pursuit of wisdom. We're not victims. We're not victims. Christ's victory means that we are no longer victims. You can develop a heart and an attitude that helps you become a wise person in the world. Verse four, if you seek after it like silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure. Now, let me just pause here. All of this is predicated on something. You know what it's predicated on? It's predicated on you've got to want this. You've got to want this. You've got to want wisdom. You've got to desire it. You've got to see the value of it. And listen, here's one of the reasons why wisdom is from above is because naturally in our unredeemed state, we don't even have the capacity to value wisdom like we should. We don't have the capacity to value wisdom as we should. I mean, listen, without God, and without his spirit working in our lives, there could be wisdom all around us. We, can't even, we don't even know it's there. We don't know what we don't know. But here's, what, here's the faithful promise of the scriptures, that if we will posture our hearts to say, God, show me what I don't know. If we will posture our hearts to say, God, rip the deception, the, the deception off of me. If we will posture our hearts to say, God, give me eyes to see. I don't even know that my heart is hardened right now. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples in Mark chapter six. He was like, guys, seriously, are your hearts still hard? Do you not understand the lesson about the loaves? And they didn't, they didn't even know. And most of us are living in that state. We're living in that state that we don't even know that we need wisdom, let alone be able to recognize wisdom when it's all around us. God, give us wisdom. Give us the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We do not know as we ought to know. But look right here at this verse here in verse five. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Look at that. You will understand. What's the implication there? If he says, look at those verses. Seek and search and incline and pay attention and go after. I mean, these are all power verbs, right? So he's saying that after you do all these things, 
and live a life of doing these things, then, 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 then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. What's the implication? What's the implication? We don't understand the fear of the Lord. It's not intuitive. But you can understand the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, which leads to the blessed life. I'm just gonna end by saying this. If you look back through Psalm 112, I don't wanna get into all that. There's some really, really beautiful things there. But live in that for a while. Go back through and pay attention to the characteristics of the person. Don't get caught up in verse three. Okay, let's put verse three on the word. Don't get caught up in verse three. Wealth and riches are in their house. That's what we do. That's what we do. Look at that. Wealth and riches are in their house. What we do, all, all we're hearing, all we're reading is going, wow, man, if I do, if I do the right things, then I could be a baller. <laughs> don't, don't get caught up in that. Here's what we ought to be getting caught up in because after verse three, he talks about what the wise person does with their wealth and riches. Yes. They give generously. They lend to the poor. They distribute and they disperse strategically, thoughtfully, intentionally. They steward the resources of God so that the purpose of God can come to bear on the earth. Their authority is just. Their horn is exalted in honor. These are the characteristics of the blessed life. The blessed life can only be a reality if we're living in the wisdom of God. The blessed life is a reflection. It's a byproduct of the wise life which is the result of the fear of the Lord in our lives. Jonathan, would you come on up this morning? Church, my prayer is that we would be a people that have ears to hear and eyes to see and minds to comprehend and hearts to receive and all of that is a byproduct of not, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know I've heard this, I've heard this. No, it's a byproduct of saying, God, teach me the fear of the Lord so that I may gain a heart of wisdom, so that the life of heaven can come into my world. Communion attendance this morning, I, I'm gonna ask if you would just be available today after, if you'll just um, serve the people and if you'll just be available here for a few minutes. And I sense that there are some of us here in this room today that uh, in addition to the prayer that has gone forward uh, in our time of worship, that some of us are just needing someone to agree with them. And we wanna create space for that encounter through the people of God by the Holy Spirit. As we come to the table, I am asking today that we would enter into that same level of wisdom that was operating in God himself when he sent his son to die. In fact, the scripture is very clear in telling us this. There was, there was a level of wisdom that was operating in God that was absolutely counterintuitive. You mean to tell me that, that you're gonna take a race of people that are littered with sin and the way that you're gonna transform their lives is by laying your son down for him to give his life, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And you mean to tell me that just, just by humbling my heart and acknowledging that I've offended God and recognizing that I'm a sinner and seeing that Jesus really is the son of God, fully God, fully human came to this earth to be the substitutionary, redeeming, atoning sacrifice for my life. You, you mean to tell me that just by, just by seeing that and just by accepting that, that something eternal can happen in my life? That doesn't make sense. The wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Friends, today, as we come and we sit at the Eucharist. I'm praying for the mystery of God to become a reality in our lives, afresh and anew. 
I can't explain to you what God is doing here. It's a mystery. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. I, I, I think there's just something more than kind of a token nod and a, a token memorial, like, oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna do this in remembrance of you. There is something that is deeply, there is a transference of wisdom and the fear of the Lord that is happening here that enables us to live the blessed life. We must have the character and the nature of God by his spirit at work in us. And it's something we receive. So today, would you stand with me to your feet, church? you stretch forth your hands. Father, today we pray that you would take normal, natural means, elements. Lord, would you take the natural and the normal and the physical means of these sacraments, things that were created and produced by human hands, wheat that was sown and harvested and cultivated, turned into bread juice, God, that comes from the fruit of the vine. And yet, just like Jesus, fully man, fully God, we believe there's something that is fully human and fully God at work here today when we submit our lives. And and we ask today, Lord, that you would empower us to submit our lives afresh and anew to the wisdom of the incarnated life in God. Spirit of God, be at work, we pray, as we come to your table. Church, I invite you to come and receive from the body and the blood of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.